Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. In honor of Pride Month, the Startup Canada podcast network is celebrating the contributions and achievements of LGBT plus entrepreneurs. Join us as we chat with LGBT plus founders and support organizations who are challenging the status quo to build a more inclusive world. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Indigenous artist Patrick Hunter. Patrick is a two-spirit Ojibwe woodland artist from Red Lake in northwestern Ontario. Patrick paints what he sees through a spiritual lens which is inspired by his homeland and by growing up seeing the original works of renowned woodland painter Norval Morisot. Creating is Patrick's passion and it's been his focus since an early age. In 2014, he launched Patrick Hunter Art and Design with the intent to raise awareness of Indigenous iconography through artwork that delights and inspires. Patrick began his business selling acrylic paintings on canvas, but in recent years he's branched off into clothing and housewares, now being sold around the world. Strategic partnerships with promotional product companies has helped Patrick reach new audiences in corporate Canada. Patrick resides in Toronto, but makes regular journeys home to stay inspired, be with family, and teach art classes to the next generation of woodland artists. Startup Canada recently named him as one of Canada's top entrepreneurial changemakers. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. We're delighted to have you here. Just before we get started, I do want to uh, acknowledge that the land I'm standing on today is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. And I encourage listeners to take a moment to acknowledge the traditional territory that you reside on today. So to get started, uh, Patrick, the usual thing we do is ask our guests, what's the top piece of advice that you hope our entrepreneurial listeners will take away from this conversation today? Do mugs. Do mugs. <laughs> That's the best tea. answer ever. People love tea and they're bananas for coffee. And as someone who sold thousands of mugs who wished someone told me when I was first starting out to just do mugs. You don't, you could just make a living off them. It's that's the best. I mean, there's more to, I'm going to give you guys more, you know, listen a little bit longer, but <laughs> just put your artwork onto mugs. <laughs> and why, why mugs? Is that better than t-shirts? Is that, is, is, is that better than the, um, the belt the, buckles? Well, you know, the price point's great. And then also people like to not only have them for their house, but they like to gift them. It's it's harder to to gift a T-shirt when you're not really a hundred percent on someone's size, and it's it's easier. <laughs> All right, let's <laughs> say that someone was inspired and and figured they needed a new coffee coffee mug or or or, or teacup. Now, where 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 would you suggest they go to to find a good quality one? 
patrickhunter.ca. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for, for ones that I do, but I mean, um, maybe they, they could email me, email me and I'll, I'll send you the, uh, the links to the suppliers that I use. <laughs> I, I was just thinking, uh, those people who have, you know, people that, uh, are, are hard to buy for, hard to gift gift to. Everyone needs a coffee mug. So tell me yeah. about your entrepreneurial journey. What led to the creation of Patrick Hunter Art and Design? I mean, it's it has always been in the works, but it was, I mean, working as a line cook, getting burned alive by fryer grease every day, that that was like, <laughs> was like I didn't move here to Toronto to do this. I went to school for graphic design in, in Sault Ste. Marie, that I moved to Toronto, and at the time, in 2011, it wasn't super duper easy to get a graphic design job at the time as well. Like they wanted like a year of interning, which is just you work for free. I, I don't know if it's the same still, but I didn't have the capital to be able to like, oh, let me work for you for free and then go to this other job, which I hate, right. uh, you know, flipping burgers. And I didn't understand how that system worked. So I, I didn't get a job and I, I just had to kind of rely on what I had already started to build, which I just a little bit didn't have the confidence to call it a business. I, I'd had people buying artwork for since I was in high school, like, you know, one or two paintings a year or something, not really charging a lot. And then, yeah, once <laughs> once you've burned yourself with fryer grease, you're just like, this is the worst. So I took on a lot of commissions at once. I was like, okay, if we just let, if I don't have to show up to this shitty job, I can just have more time to paint. And I took on like six commissions at once and let them pay bi-weekly and monthly. And that's kind of how the business got started. And I quit that job and hit the ground running, really. Took any opportunity I could. And that's how it kind of got started. And how, how long did it take to really get up to speed sort of as a full-time artist and entrepreneur? I mean, uh, still, you know, it's seven years later, but um, things get easier and you just become smarter and you learn how to work smarter. Um, I don't know, like, that's a hard, weird question to ask because I just, I worked so hard in the beginning for so many hours and so long. Like, I mean, it was right out the gate that I started to make some money and like you know there was definitely moments where i'd be walking up young street <laughs> getting payday loans to <laughs> just you know pay my 700 dollars worth of rent that i had at the time i had two roommates so that's why it was so low but yeah it was a lot in the beginning i saw a video where you talked about you know having this full-time business being an entrepreneur as like walking a high wire without a net and you said you just put one foot in front of another and hope everything works out. Can you tell me about a couple of those high wire moments you had? When did you wish you had a net? I don't know. Like I think in the beginning, as I as I just said, like it was exhilarating, but it was also really scary. You know, luckily the work was good and, and people wanted to buy, but social media also wasn't kind of the engine that it is now. And thank goodness, honestly, that it was there because you could put the work out and you know, your following could respond to it and be interested. And, you know, it, it just instead of just always selling originals, I was like, well, not everyone can afford this. How about we make prints and sell them for 20 bucks or whatever it is? And and that's how it kind of built up from there. But, um, oh, gosh. <laughs> so my, my old high school called and they were like, can you come teach a paint class? And I was like, yep. 
And it was one of those one of those moments where you're just like, I've never taught anything. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I get from, you know, what's in my head onto the canvas, but I need this $1,200, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I flew back home and I did the class. And it's weird when you're the person at the front of the room that everyone is looking to for answers. And I just didn't really know what I was up to at the time. And so that was kind of one of the moments where it's like, it's fake it or make it. And uh, I faked it. And I think they left that class with something that they kind of liked. Do you think you faked it? Or do you think you really emerged as your own person with as a leader at that moment? Thanks for trying to turn that around for me. But uh, <laughs> I, it, what it taught me was uh, my process and, and how do I get from, you know, what's in my head onto the canvas. And I just, I didn't know what that was until you tried to teach someone. And now, <laughs> seven years later, I've, you know, taught 50 classes already this year. So I'm better. <laughs> All kids, you can come back. I'll give you a free class. Fantastic. And, you know, they, they do say that, you know, there's no better way of learning a subject than teaching it. And I had that experience when I taught a course at Ryerson on entrepreneurship many years ago. Um, so, yeah, so that, that that's where you first get to articulate how things get together, how you put things together in your head. So it's a wonderful experience. It really was. And I, it's one of the, the best parts of this job now or this role that I have now is uh, is teaching I, I like I love it a lot. It's it's a lot of output. I would want to do it every day and, and I have to give it up for all of the teachers out there that are teaching, you know, during this pandemic. Um, I couldn't do it every single day, but I'd like when I get to be the special guest. <laughs> exactly. Once in a while is great. Uh, but yeah, it's a long slog, the academic year. Let's just switch gears for a minute and talk a bit about woodland art. Can you help describe it for me when when, when Canadians think about um, indigenous art, I guess a lot of us turn to the West Coast and the, the, the Salish peoples and the art that they developed. Um, how is woodland art similar or different? And I guess before we start, we should explain that the woodland peoples covered really everything from the East Coast right up to uh, the Mississippi River or the middle of Manitoba. Oh, uh, so a lot of different cultures com combined there. Right. You know, historically, that's that's where we would roam. Um, you know, with the addition of the United States border, I think things have kind of shrunk a lot more. So woodland art kind of really began um, with this man named Norval Morso. And where I'm from, Red Lake, Ontario, it's kind of like ground zero for where it really developed. And to answer your question about, you know, how far does this stretch wherever there's Ojibwe people, but, you know, for the most part, it was kind of like Ontario, a little bit of Manitoba. That's kind of where it really took off from. And, you know, he was painting our stories and our oral traditions, which is historically how we would pass down our culture, pretty much. And it was controversial because he... It, that just wasn't done, right? So obviously the the uh, non-native culture really liked it. So that's kind of how it really started. And, um, you know, I grew up in a place where it was really embraced and I saw it in public spaces every single day. And I just didn't know that that's, that was an isolated experience, like going to other cities where I went to college in Sault Ste. Marie and then moving to Toronto. It's not as easily found on the walls or on murals and stuff like that around town or celebrated. But yeah, the lens that you kind of have to look through, pretend you have like x-ray vision and you can kind of see the spirit 
of what you're looking at or, you know, you can see their bone structure or what they had for lunch that day or if there's babies inside. It's really just taking a layer off and, and you're seeing, I think, the way that nature wants to be seen, which is like, you know, it's alive. It's has this life force and that's kind of what you're seeing. It might look a little spooky, but I think that adds to like the allure of it. Right. I don't know much about art, but I, I, I love your art. I love that type of art. Um, the, the, the colors are so bright and dynamic. And you, as you say, everything sort of ha- comes alive. Everything's got a spirit. Uh, so uh, I, I, I think the work is great. And podcasts aren't super for, for showing visuals. So I, I encourage our listeners to, to, to look up this work and get interested in it and maybe order a coffee mug. Do you think we're seeing a, a sort of resurgence of Indigenous art? These days, I know that uh, reconciliation is a thing and there's a lot of backsliding and a lot of inequity still. But uh, my impression is, is that we're slowly coming around uh, to understanding that this is an important culture in and of itself. And it's and it's important as part of Canada. Yeah. uh, You know, as I said earlier, the having social media there as the vehicle to kind of drive success for entrepreneurs <laughs> um, is amazing. And there's I, I've noticed a lot more support for indigenous artists, just supporting them each other, you know, like, hey, if you haven't heard of this person, look at this guy. And I see that quite often. And, and I do that as well. And that's what I, I really love about this generation of, of artists, because, you know, for the longest time, the the way that you had to view art, which, you know, good or not, it, it kind of depended on the gallery. And now there's, for us anyway, for the people that I like, there's no gallery involved. And it's just like, we can be the the people that really sort of decide what you look at and what you what you see of, of our work anyway. So yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's enough pie for everyone. And it's, I love that that's sort of the motto that a lot of us are following and, you know, lifting each other up. Yeah. Um, there are a few um, marketplaces out there, online marketplaces for Indigenous goods, handicrafts, and art. Um, are there any platforms that you see that are really gaining traction and, and and making a difference? I'm not really a part of any of those. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I just hired an assistant. So maybe, maybe we are, <laughs> but <laughs> okay. I, I was seriously just wondering if there's anyone making a difference out there. Um, cause, cause I hope they do. I, I, I hope we develop that kind of a platform in Canada. Yeah, I understand that. I, I mean, as someone who's really had no, there was no rule book, like there was even not even at the time anyone to look up to, to ask questions like this about, I mean, the website that I have, you know, built on Shopify. And I think those types of platforms have, have really kind of helped a lot of, a lot of us makers and and designers flourish a lot more. So we're just kind of doing it the way that we want to, I think. And well, that's the entrepreneurial I, way. Let's cut out the middleman and let's reach our audience ourselves. Yeah, everything's so online now, especially with this this pandemic. So there's no, there, I think there used to be, you know, marketplaces where you would go to like actual ones physically that you would go to and sell stuff and, you know, festivals and things like that. But that's kind of, we've had to pivot <laughs> to really relying on what is the person like, you know, trying to sell your personality in some ways. And hopefully that... <laughs> sells the work a little bit more. I know there's a lot of issues about appropriation versus appreciation. How do you think that non-Indigenous consumers can best support Indigenous creatives? 
I think the easiest way is through Instagram. And, you know, it might sound trite, but it's true. Um, finding people that you want to follow. Um, you know, if you're looking for people, just message me and I'll send you a list. But um, the easiest way to do it, like non-monetarily, is just by following people on social media and then also uplifting them through trying to tell your followers or friends uh, about them. I think that's kind of the easiest way. A lot of us, however, have little shops attached to our, our Instagrams. And you know what? I only say that, like, like I said, it might sound trite, but Instagram these days, I have to say, it's kind of like the new business card for, for creatives. And it's really silly, but it's true that that's the way that people are accessing the work. Like I literally was contacted by the Blackhawks, the Chicago Blackhawks, the hockey team to work with them through Instagram. Is that how they found out about you? Yeah, there was, you know, there's that one section of your DMs where it's just like requests and you go over to it and some of them are a little weird and you don't always want to go over there. But I, <laughs> it was a message. I was like, do you want to work with a national sports team? That was literally the message. And I'm curious enough that I was like, dot, 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 yes. <laughs> and that's kind of how it got started in, you know, you were talk, asking about appropriation versus appreciate, uh, excuse me, appreciation, and they are going through a tough time where their logo, you know, is is a caricature of of, of an indigenous man, but a respectful black. caricature. Uh, <laughs> I think that that's pretty arguable. Um, okay. I that's, don't. That's their line anyway. It is. It's part of a, a time when that type of design work was was popular. And, you know, as indigenous people, I don't think we really love it. But what they want to do is, is really go down this path of reconciliation. And they didn't really have to do it. But they they're choosing to kind of be a leader and, and show other other teams that, you know, reconciliation is, is, is a good thing. And you should do it and try and educate their fans on on why they want to change their logo instead of just, you know, arbitrarily changing it to a black hawk, like a bird. This was a person. Let's talk about what his life was like. Let's um, give a land acknowledgement, which is what I was asked to do, was was lend artwork so that they could display it through their building and start to educate their fans. They're like, hey, we are on indigenous land and we want to tell you guys that we are. And we're going to go through this process of changing our, our logo. And it's it's going to be a while before we do it, but we just want to go through the right steps and it's going to be hard for some people to take, but it's the right path to take. And that's such an interesting story. And there's so much to unpack there in terms of, I mean, we saw the Cleveland Indians and, and how terrible their mascot was and how much they resisted change. Yet it was only that kind of conversation that got the Blackhawks starting and finding that having a okay, a serious caricature wasn't quite enough to justify the representation going on there. Did you have concerns or second thoughts about working with them? Or do you, or, or are you an entrepreneur who says, hey, the color of their money is what matters? Or is it, um, you know, we can help them along the way because getting things right is a journey. Well, I mean, I agreed to take the call with a lot of trepidation. I, as I said earlier, there it was not really a lot of information in the first message. Just like, do you want to work with this? And I was like, okay, maybe. <laughs> and I, yeah, I took the call. And then, you know, I just sort of, from that, realized that they have a lot of integrity. The team that they, the design team that, that reached out to me kind of told me exactly what I just sort of said was, you know, 
we just we want to do this right. We want to figure out a way to educate our our fans and really walk this road of reconciliation in in so so that we we can still sort of maintain this image, this you know the the image of their logo will change probably slightly, but um, they were like, we just want everyone to know that we're good guys, and I was like, okay, that's what I took away from that message or, or that first meeting, and you know you're not wrong in in saying insinuating that you know this is a business and what I am doing is is a business, but I like to align myself with places that have integrity and have a message, but then also. At the same time, you know, I realize that they have a platform and using that to to put more indigeneity, indigenous artwork out into the world. Like that's that's what my goal is. And I think I alluded to it in the beginning when I was like, well, I, I originally just wanted to put artwork on people's walls so that I could pay some bills. But now that the bills are paid or consistently paid, <laughs> um, the intention has changed to, you know, how I grew up seeing artwork in public spaces and being so proud of my culture is not the way that a lot of indigenous people grow up. And I want to make sure that they go into public spaces and, and have that experience of like, that's my, like, that's my people did that. I, I'm so proud of that. I'm, I'm proud of me. That's what I want. So in, in kind of aligning myself with the Blackhawks or Rogers or whoever it is that I'm, I, I work with making sure they have integrity and want to, do the work that I want to do together. That's important to me. I'm going to take a chance and test a theory out on you. Um, I've spent a long time in the world of entrepreneurship and competitiveness and economic leadership and trying to figure out, you know, what the best path forward is for a middling country like Canada. And I remember coming up with the notion years ago that one of the things we should really start to do is embrace what makes us, makes us special. And as most people know, we've, you know, relied on our European heritage for a very long time as sort of the image and voice and representation of Canada. But there is so much more. There is all the immigration. And on top of that, at the beginning is our Aboriginal heritage. And I think our culture, our country and our economy would be strengthened by leaning in to these other ways and particularly the, the the first peoples, the first nations, and the art and the and that that the, the, the they make, and the the beliefs that they have, and embracing them instead of you know categorizing them here in the in in in, in the basement of the Royal Ontario Museum. Right. Do you think Canada could 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 benefit in any ways by by really leaning in? There's a lot in that question, especially in the build up to that. There are obviously vast ages of people and and I'm starting that way because like as a young person youngish I'm 32 I think there is a shift in in the way that we're trying to operate our businesses and our mindsets and being more inclusive and I think that's the same for I would say most non-indigenous people as well where they're really trying to be more woke especially during this pandemic all you had to do is kind of stay home and observe the world really and what happened with you know black lives matter people are are really trying to figure out non-indigenous people are trying to figure out how we really become better allies and i think that that shift is changing into something that's a lot more positive however as you said earlier a lot of the structures of our systems of operating are European. And that's been exclusive the whole time, you know, exclusive of black people, exclusive of indigenous people, immigrants, you know, it, it works only for the people that, you know, that are the, 
quote unquote colonizers. And, you know, that's not your fault per se, but here's a system that has, has existed here since Canada has been started. And so the, the colonizers have had just a couple hundred years to develop wealth. Whereas like, we're just really getting our, our foot in the door. So in the way that business is set up, it's, of course, there's going to be some disparity between there. And it looks different from, you know, a non-Indigenous lens or a non-Black person lens, because it is. We just haven't had the same foothold that colonizers have had. And we're, we're sorting it out and it's looking a little bit different, but it's, it's, it's working. It's just, um, it's, it's slow, but, you know, we're making it happen. Right. I, I guess what I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that obviously inclusion and diversity are sources of strength uh, for everybody. But man, if we if if we jump into it, if we lean into it instead of progressing slowly, then I think we can gain so much. I think there's just such a big distrust, and we're indoctrinated in different ways. Where the distrust of the system is emplaced in in my life and other you know non-white people's lives and then the system for you, for other people is is indoctrinated in a different way so trying to clash these two together there's going to be a little bit of friction and I, I i know what you're trying to say and I, I think it's i want that for sure um it's just the the intent has to be sincere on both sides that that working together can work and it's not always that way and i think the the system that's been in place for ever uh needs to be bendable and and be a little bit more softer and that's what i'm trying to do and i've i've honestly sort of you know charmed my way into um some of the biggest corporations i'm just like how about we do this differently and like you know just kind of showing them that soft is fine and it doesn't have to be you know we don't need to involve a bunch of lawyers and the you know the the contracts don't need to have the speak that no one can understand like even the people that are oh here's the contract i'm like have you read this do you know what this says and they're like no i, I it's just what our lawyers said i'm like you need to read this because it's vaguely threatening but it's also soul <laughs> you know, crushing there's a better way to do it and and that's how i'm trying to change this system for people coming after me or, or you know my my peers and I agree with you. It's all about trust. And uh, those of us who've abused trust have to rebuild it every single day and to get it somewhere where we'd like it to be. Let me just switch gears a little bit and ask about, you know, your 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 life as a gay two-spirit person. You've been uh, involved with the LGBTQ2 community as well as Indigenous communities. Yeah. And I'm just wondering how that part of your identity has shaped your art or the way you run your business. Well, I, I had learned early on that, you know, niche is not a bad thing, like being a, a niche market or whatever it is. And I, I really just sort of, as we said earlier, I just leaned into who I was as a person. I'm indigenous. I'm also a, a gay man, a two spirit man. And I was like, let's see how this plays out. And to my surprise, like people want to support the work because it does come from this really diverse voice and waking up every day, getting to be exactly who I am and getting to operate my business fully out in the open where some people could be, you know, a little bit intimidated by that in terms of just being like, 
I don't know if I can do it. I just, I leaned into it and it, I have really been cashing out <laughs> on it. And it's, it's, I think that's what we're all here to do is just like, you're really here to live out loud. We don't only get, we only get so much time. Why try and hide parts of who you are? And I just, it really worked out. And <laughs> I'm so grateful that I had the confidence in the first place to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, in entrepreneurship, we say that, you know, a niche, the the, the more focused, the better, as you say, it's a superpower. And I, I, I'm delighted that, that, that you've been able to find that your niche has also given you a little bit of oomph. Yeah. And you know what? As much as I'm in business, it doesn't feel that way. Like, I just, I operate, and I wake up. And, you know, all of these things are coming from the same person, you know, like I'm gay. I'm also indigenous. I'm also a business owner and it all just sort of mixes together. And I don't feel like I'm going to work. It's kind of strange because I'm, you know, offering things of myself that I like and people respond to it or don't and ultimately buy it. So it's it's such a blessing. And, and it's great to hear you say that. One of the reasons that I became fascinated with entrepreneurship as a business journalist, is that our society today allows you to be yourself and to sell yourself. I discovered that when my brother started a bookstore selling all sorts of weird academic books that most people don't want, but some people do. Right. And, it, and, and it, it turned out that that's a niche. That's a living for him. He can be who he is. You can be yeah. who he is. And that shows how important it is to know who you are. And I'm, I'm going to use this phrase for the last time. Lean into that. I agree. You know, the learning curve, it's quite steep. And you really, being an entrepreneur is really just a lesson in like figuring out who you are as a person. For me, anyway, every single day or like you get an, like not an evil message, but it's just like someone's reaching out because they, it was broken when they got it or it was bent or, you know, products that, that I, I've sent out and maybe it's damaged or something. And, and they, I think people's default is like to bitch and complain. And you really have to be like, okay, so how am I going to, let's take a walk. Let's respond to this in a, in a way that's not just, you know, barking back, but just, you know, disarm people with kindness. And at the same time, figuring out like, it's not just selling stuff. It's like, so how am I going to go to bed at the end of the day, feeling okay with what I did? There's, you know, some meditation involved. There's <laughs> exercise. It's, it's a very physical job as well. And, you know, having a balance is, is the most important thing about, I think, being an entrepreneur. And it's trying to go to bed every day, feeling satisfied with what you did and who you are as a person is part of being an entrepreneur. I, I, I love what you said. I, 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 it's totally profound. And if I can paraphrase it, it was that being an entrepre entrepreneur is really just all about finding out who you are as a person. And I think that's, yeah. that's incredibly true. It is that. And, you know, you have to take a deep dive sometimes and, and really look at yourself and what your what are your patterns of success and failure. And it's specific and it's not for everyone. That's why not everyone is doing it. But at the same time, as, as someone like we've talked about, like has been able to just sell who I am as a person, um, I'm like, more people should do this and you can do it. It's, you know, you just have to look at yourself through a lens that is sometimes hard to look through. Patrick, what do you wish that you knew when you started that you'd <laughs> like to share with other entrepreneurs or other indigenous artists out there starting their own careers? I mean, I yelled in the beginning, mugs, everyone. <laughs> but, you know, I think what I wished uh, someone would, would have told me is it's kind of what we just talked about in some ways, um, you know, it doesn't have to be so tense. If you're having some difficulty in terms of, you know, your mental health, 
a lot of times I feel like I, I can't leave my desk. Like I wake up in the morning and I go straight to my desk or my kitchen table, really. And I just start answering emails, like, you know, looking at stuff that I need to be doing, doing a little bit of artwork. There can be a pause there and like go for a walk first, you know, do some stuff for you in the day, like make a great breakfast, go and take your dog for a walk, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be so tense all the time. Like you don't have to just start your day running. It can be softer. It can be more chill than that. And I wish someone would have told me that a little bit earlier. And I'm, you know, it's, it's still hard. I'm still kind of like sometimes hit the ground running in the morning, <laughs> kind of for this. I woke up at 9.45. I was like, oh my gosh, interview at 10. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you have to do it, but it can be a little bit slower than, than it seems like you have to operate. Right. Let me ask you one final question. You mentioned that you're, you're doing a lot of work for corporations. Uh, the Blackhawks called you, but you're also working with Rogers and you worked for Pure Later and RBC. Is any of that you reaching out? Have you found the secret of connecting with them? I took your, your other question a little in a different direction. But what I also wish that uh, people would have told me about sooner was, uh, you know, the lovely, lovely world of chambers of commerce. I'm a part of a bunch of them, um, specifically the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. That's one of them. And then the Canadian Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce as well. And what those are is just like it's a vetting process where, you know, you go through the, this process of becoming a member so that you're legit. Your business is, is a good business. And then they have corporations or larger businesses, medium, small as well, that are part of it. And everyone just kind of gets to meet each other and the quote unquote elevator pitch is longer. And you can just have these moments where you can really hash out how to work with other places and, and people hear about your business from other people. And it's like a dance and your, your ticket to the dance is uh, becoming a member of the Chamber of Commerce. And you can sit on the sidelines and, and, you know, not ask anyone to dance, but you can also, you know, dance with the hottest person in the room if you want. If you're that confident and that's really all it is. And it sounds silly and trite, but I think I also wish I don't, I don't think it's trite at all because what you're saying is, you know, if you want to dance, you got to ask someone to dance. So you've got to show up at the dance. <laughs> you got to dress for the dance. You've got to show you're a player in that yeah. arena or ballroom or I, high school I, gym. You know, navigating the corporate world, I, I've really kind of, I've done things, did sort of dumb things down for myself. And I'm just like, oh, this is just like high school where like, that's the most popular person in the room. Like, let's go talk to them if you want. Or, you know, in the way that corporations work, where there's so many groups involved in one corporation, like they're trying to put on, they're trying to put on a dance and they want to do it, make it in the best way possible. They're trying to put on an event. That's how corporations are. I have to say is that there, there's a bunch of moving parts and different groups that are within within them and they're trying to put on the best show or, you know, an event and you're, you can be part of it or not. And it's not as scary <laughs> as, as I used to think. I'm just like, okay, what are you like pure later? Or what are you like Rogers? And there's, there's ways to teach them as well, which is what I've been trying to do uh, on how to be better, not just to indigenous people, but to smaller businesses as well. Like it doesn't have to be as like, don't make it seem scary guys. Cause it's not They're lovely people that work there it's it just seems like it's out of reach just don't not pay your cable bill on time and it'll be <laughs> fine patrick hunter listen uh we've had an 
a, a great conversation. It's been about art. It's been about marginalization. It's been about reconciliation. And it's been about business and about who we are as people. So um, I, I thank you for all these insights and for the advice in terms of discovering the mug market, uh, <laughs> of, of being yourself and really finding out who you are so that you can give the most value you can to any organization. Thank you yep. so much, Patrick. No problem. Thanks Thanks for the conversation as well. It doesn't seem like we've been talking for an hour, but we almost have. We'll talk again. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.